All right. Hey, everyone. This is John Hall. I've got a special guest here with me today. His name is Karee Pennebaker, and he represents Wisconsin in the DNC. He's also the treasurer for the DNC Black Caucus. And fortunately, I've got some of his time today and just going to kind of hang out and and talk about some things that are happening in America, as well as highlight some of the work that, that he's doing. So how are you doing this morning? Man, I'm living the dream. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I really, really appreciate it. It's, it's an honor. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, we can kind of tell people how this, how this meeting came about. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, I wrote a tweet um, uh, in watching a, a clip uh, from Donald Trump as he's talking about um, how the, the, the four uh, amazing congresswomen of color should go back to their country of origin, which before I get to the rest of it, it, to me, that by itself is baffling given that three out of the four are American born, right? So where are they going to go back to? And what, what really bothered me about his tweet is that because they are women of color, they are assumed to not be from here. They, they aren't even afforded uh, Americanness. But white folks who uh, may uh, dislike the president or dislike the policies of his administration or dislike some of the things that our country has done, they are not asked to leave the country. Uh, Donald Trump spent an entire two-year campaign talking about how bad our country was. We're a third world country. We, uh, the American dream is dead. All the kind of things he said, plus the racist birtherism he was espousing. When was he asked to leave? And where would we ask him to go back to? I, I, I believe that if something is broke uh, and if you love it, you should stay and fix it. You should not be asked to leave. This, this isn't a love it or leave it type of thing. If you love it and you see something wrong, stand up and go fix it. And my tweet was, uh, that I felt this was a dangerous time for people of color. Now, I, I think there are uh, periods in our, our country's history when it has been probably, not even probably, it has been worse. Slavery was worse than this. Jim Crow era was worse than this. The yeah. 50s and 60s uh, were worse than this. I mean, obviously the assassination of Dr. King and, and Malcolm X and the brutality that, that uh, people of color had to endure uh, just in trying to ask for equality. Not demand quality, which we which we should have gotten anyway. Um, but I think what, what is going on now is that Donald Trump has so normalized racism and hate that people are going to begin taking liberties with that and take it outside of the context of words and put it into action. Uh, and I think in that that is why I think it is dangerous uh, for people of color right now, because I think there are people who are anxious uh, to act in his name um, and he's doing nothing but flam, uh, fan those flames of hate. Mm. And I, all I could think of, uh, question what you're just saying. So <clears throat> I, know, I know who we're talking to on this show, but just throwing it out there, for someone that would defend his actions, I mean, what, what could we do? I mean, it's not like we're really gonna change their mind, right? Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> I mean, from that perspective, what can be done? If somebody just says, well, hey, you know, he's, he's doing it for these reasons, or, you know, he, he's not racist, where's the proof? How do, we, how do we approach that so that you're at least having some level of mutual understanding in, sure. in talking to people that would have that stance? Right, so usually what I, what I really try to do, and this, this is intentional and I actively try to do this, 
is not only listen to what they're saying, but try to understand where they're coming from, whether or not I agree. Because the, the more I can understand their perspective, the better I can provide a response. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it is very challenging uh, to understand some of those folks without just simply saying, well, they're just racist. Um, I, I can, for to a degree, get like, y- you like his tax cuts, right? You like his, um, which are, to me are, are bad, but you, you like his, his so-called pro-life stance. To me, it's, it's anti-choice, not pro-life. Uh, you, you like the, the judges he put on the Supreme Court, which I obviously disagree with. But at some point, um, I think the, the, the moral character within a person has to step up and say, there are things that I might like from a policy perspective, but I don't want my kids around him. I don't want, uh, I wouldn't want my kids to talk like him or to behave like him. So setting policy is one part of the president's job but being an example is also a part of the president's job. And I think he is doing an amazing disservice to the younger folks in, in showing people what a moral leader should be like. I, I also think he's inspiring um, um, other leaders across the country who want to be like him or that are already like him, but just need that extra push to, to enact some of the things that they're trying to do, like in, in North Korea uh, and in the Middle East. I, I think he is a... Uh, an abomination uh-huh. and is is trying to uh, consolidate power in a way that I, I think we have not been accustomed to. So to answer your question, though, uh, the first thing I would do is obviously would listen to that person. Um, and then I would try to explain my perspective in that person X may not see his tweets or his, his words as being racist. That doesn't make it so, Right. I can explain to you why I believe it is. Uh, Explain, for example, like I did a minute ago in saying, um, you have four women of color who obviously disagree with him and his policy, um, but they aren't disagreeing with him and his policy because he's white. He is disagreeing with them because they are of color. And when uh, you've got, uh, for example, Joe Biden, right? Joe Biden has said there's some things about the, a lot of things about the president that he doesn't like, he doesn't like his policy. Donald Trump not asked uh, Joe Biden to go back to any country. No. These four women of color have been asked to go back. Um, Ilhan Omar has been in America six years longer than Donald Trump's wife has been. Yes. But when uh, Melania Trump was, was trafficking in birtherism along with her racist husband, was she asked to go back? And the answer is clearly no. Um, we are not assumed to be um, American because we are of color. And that's one of the things that I think uh, some folks ignore is that you, you, while I should try to at least make the effort to see things from their perspective, they should also try to do it from, from ours. And I, and I know that um, those who are not of color are going to struggle with that because they don't know what our lived experiences are. Uh, and they might be looking at this from their own uh, political prism. But I, I, I think what I'd really try to do is, is appeal to their humanity outside of the, the political realm and just ask them to look at me as a person. Look at, the, look at people of color as, as human beings, not as your enemy, not as a, a Democrat or someone you have to dislike. But think about, though, if, if you were a young person of color in, in a all-white community, would you think that this is okay? And how would you think that those kinds of words might impact that person? 
Or uh, I saw a, a, an article a couple of days ago about this retired nurse, a, a white woman, uh, who said that Donald Trump says the things that I feel. Imagine you're a person of color and that person is your nurse, right? Like, the, we have to stop the, this, this narrative, though, of that um, people of color are going to take something from you. Right. Uh, and that we, our existence or our participation within, our, within this country is that somehow a, at an expense to you. To me, uh, our, our diversity is what makes this country special. Yes. And it's not just racial diversity or gender diversity. It is also a diverse, uh, diversity of ideas that makes our country better. It can't just be one or the other. It has to be something that, that really does make us that, uh, that, that beacon of hope for the rest of the world. And I think some folks miss that. And I, I think they might be looking just a few inches in front of their face while ignoring the progress we've made, how, how far people of color have come uh, since the 50s and 60s, or since slavery. Um, and, and I would ask them to just try to step outside of your bubble for a second. Whatever hate you might uh, hold on to, try to let that go and look at us as people, right? And, and, and try to see how negative uh, Trump's words and actions are, not just on communities of color, but as a country as a whole. We have become a much angrier country. And a lot of that anger and hate is directed towards communities of color, and we don't deserve it. And I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I'm just trying to find a way to create a solution to make things better. I mean, specifically, I'm, I'm focusing on the Black community, obviously, because it's a target of so many different racial injustices and just outright uh, open hate, if you will, at, at this time. And so, I mean, obviously I want to do what I can to make it a safer place. I mean, I'm really focusing on my platform helps people with financial education as well as personal development. So I, I really think building people up right. um, and where they're at is, is important. Right. But I really want to try to find a way to facilitate broader, broader change right. uh, in this environment and yeah. Well, if you think about it this way, so think about, I didn't mean to cut you off, but think about it no, this way. We're good. So, um, when um, um, John Lewis um, and the other civil rights advocates and leaders uh, crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge and he was beaten, um, it wasn't just because they were brave and courageous. They were, they were marching for you and I, even though they didn't know us. Yeah. Because they, it, was, it was televised and white folks saw it. It's one thing to read about it or to just hear it in abstract, but the white folks who saw it said, this is, this is as bad as they said it was. And yeah. we don't stand for that. So I think one of the things we need right now is not only for uh, folks like you and I to speak up and speak out as frequently as we can and help uh, to, to bring other folks along with us and help them uh, find their voice, uh, but we, we need white folks to step up and say, this is simply not acceptable. You know, we have fought against racism and hate for, for decades now, for generations now, and we are not willing to allow it to infect our country again. Uh, and I think it's going to take more of them who are willing to simply look at us as human beings and be willing to put aside whatever financial benefit they get uh, from, from his misguided policy and say, our country should be better than this. Mm. Man, that's so, that's so true. And so, 
mainly saying just in, enlisting the help of of others. That mm-hmm. can, I mean, their voice is going to be ten times more powerful being being of the majority. Just speaking out and saying, you know, here's where I draw the line. We're not going to allow this anymore. Right. And then when they do it, you'll find pretty quickly they're not going to be asked to leave. Mm. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. So let's talk a little bit more specifically on some of the work that that you're doing to to help help the country. Sure. Um, so my uh, my main uh, issue that I advocate for is common sense gun reform. Um, and as you know, my my mom Joyce shot and killed herself on September eighth, nineteen seventy nine, uh, with a gun that my grandfather had given her for you know self defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was severely uh, mentally unwell, um, struggling with uh, extreme amounts of depression. You know, back in the 70s, they didn't have the mental health care system uh, or, or practices that we have now. And even now, it's so woefully inadequate. Um, but she uh, had attempted suicide twice before with pills, but uh, pills have a less than 5% lethality rate, while guns have more than 85% lethality rate. Um, she... Uh, one Friday decided she had uh, nothing more to live for. And she sat there in that car uh, with, with a loaded gun and depression lying to her, making her believe that my world would be better off without her. Uh, And she shot and killed herself um, and forced me uh, to carry the burden of that consequence uh, and also forced me to be a gun violence survivor. So um, I can't bring my mom back because trust me, if I could, I would chew my arm off to make that happen, even if it was just for a minute. Uh, you know, I was only 20 months old, so I don't know what her voice sounds like. So like the, the, uh, the mundane things that people might take for granted and thinking about your parents, like, you know, brushing your teeth or what's her favorite song or uh, her favorite color. Uh, something as simple as what is her birthday? I had to find out my mom's birthday by buying her death certificate online because it's my family and I just simply didn't talk about it. And my, my mom shot herself, but so did my dad's wife. Wow. And it was, I've been all over the, all over the country, uh, and, you know, in front of crowds of tens of thousands. I've been in kitchens with, with other fellow uh, survivors, but it, it, talking to my dad about it is one of the hardest things for me to do. Uh, so that's why I bought her death certificate, because I simply didn't want to ask him, because it's, it's wow. such a hard topic. Uh, but it's also that that pain, that that tragedy, that never-ending nightmare is the reason why I've been advocating for common sense gun reform because I don't want anybody else to have to walk in my shoes. Uh, there, every 25 minutes, uh, there's someone in our country that completes suicide like my mom did. Uh, we have about 100 gun deaths a day, the majority of which are gun suicides, but you still have gun homicides, uh, unintentional child shootings, uh, police shootings. Um, and those those people have families that are impacted uh, by that tragedy and that death. Um, and it's something that you never get over. You never get through it. It never goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have special days like Christmas or Thanksgivings, birthdays, um, things like that are very, very hard to deal with. And in my case, uh, Mother's Day is probably the worst day of the year for me. Wow. Um, and her, uh, the 40 year mark of her suicide will be uh, in a, less than a month. Uh, and that's going to be a brutal day for me too. But it's, it's because of that though, that I work so tirelessly to, to help others who are either going through it or to help them advocate so that they, their family and their community doesn't have to experience it either. Mm. Well, I, 
want to be the one to say that I appreciate the work that you're doing. I appreciate that. Uh, I'll, I'll share some things on my end, and and I, I really appreciate you sharing that and being open about this right. uh, on the show today. Um, I could I could only imagine. So thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate. So, yeah, man. Um, so yeah, the I mean, I'm originally from the west side of Chicago, so. Mm -hmm. I mean, at, at five years old, that's when I started losing friends to gun violence. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, um, age of, I mean, all the way up, I mean, I can just tell you people in the neighborhood that were, were killed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I can just tell you all the names. <laughs> it would be a long list. And right. so the things that I saw growing up, I mean, certainly I understand the danger of, of guns. I mean, and we know that Chicago's just that hot spot that yeah. everybody's talking about that they can't, you know, really fix the the issues that are that are coming from there. Mm -hmm. So I understand the impact on a very deep level, how it can destroy communities. Um, and just the effects that you have to have of just always knowing that there's another funeral coming up of someone yeah. that you know. Mm -hmm. So that's rough. And yeah. so I'll say that at this stage in my life, you know, I, I, uh, I am a, what I would consider in the category of a responsible gun owner. Mm -hmm. um, I own several firearms mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm of the group that I definitely believe that we should have the right. Mm -hmm. However, oh, there's, okay. there's these people over here that anytime you talk about making a change, they equate that with, well, we're trying to dismantle the whole yeah, range. Yeah, right. And that's just false. I mean, that there needs to be something done that just anyone can't go out and purchase a weapon and use that for the wrong reasons. I mean, I live in Las Vegas and we had the worst shooting right. in the history of the United States. Mm -hmm. I lived that right. and I mean, it's just, it was unbelievable. Right, right. So I understand the argument that people go through the proper channels and mm -hmm. you know, they, they research all this stuff every time we have these mass shooters to see how they acquired the weapon. Mm -hmm. But only thing that I can throw out there to someone is why would we not do everything we can to make it as safe as possible? There's mm -hmm. that argument, well, the bad guys are always going to have the guns. Yeah, I understand that. But aren't we doing things every day to make vehicles more respons more safe for people to drive? Right? Yep. And literally, you know, certain states, you can just be 18, go into a Walmart, purchase a gun. Mm -hmm. I mean, no class, no training, no license. And I'm not even talking about pushing for that. I'm mm -hmm. saying what you're talking about, just common sense in right. those words common sense gun reform right. make it make it more difficult for certain people or mm -hmm. make make steps i know right. in japan many people don't own a weapon right and the things that you have to go through to get a gun in japan i yeah. mean you need a license <laughs> you got to go to classes i mean there's a lot of hoops and right. so that even if we were in a place like that and i'm not saying i want to go that route mm -hmm. But that's still not stepping on the right of someone to own it. Correct. Because to get a vehicle, I mean, that's a major expense. <laughs> they don't just hand those out at Walmart, right? Right. right. Insurance and all the things that come along with that. So, yeah, 
I mean, I'm so, interested to hear what you got to say. Yeah, so first, uh, I mean, with respect to Chicago, um, that is typically the, the first place people go to when, when the uh, issue of gun violence comes up. Look how bad Chicago is, but yet look at their gun law. Um, well, it, it's actually a misnomer, right? Because as you, as you know, and as every American in the, uh, the United States knows, we don't have physical borders around our states. So folks from Chicago can go right down to Indiana, buy guns really easy, bring those guns right back uh, uh, through Chicago without being stopped at all, yeah. thereby thwarting whatever good gun policy Illinois will have. So that's the first thing. But that's why we also need uh, background checks for all gun sales from a federal level that would prevent states from having lax gun policy like Indiana and like Wisconsin used to be so that states that do have good gun policy aren't infected by states that have bad policy. So like, for, uh, for example, Wisconsin uh, has a rather notorious gun dealer um, that was a number of years ago, the number one supplier of crime guns in the country. Mm. From 20 minutes away from where I live right now. Um, but, you know, and they have since reformed quite a bit and I applaud them for that. So they have implemented a, not, a, a number of policies to prevent easy access to guns like that. But um, ultimately, uh, I believe that background checks for all gun sales is the most comprehensive way of reducing all segments of gun violence, including gun suicides like my mom. There are other policies like um, uh, extreme risk protection orders, ERPOs or red flags, depends on who you talk to, what moniker they might use. But what that policy will do uh, is help to uh, get guns temporarily out of the hands of someone who might be in crisis. Uh, so it, it, it would require uh, the involvement of your family, your immediate family. So it's not like uh, some dude you, you upset or your ex-girlfriend or neighbor who doesn't like you, it can't be something like that. It'll be a family member because you would assume your family would know the kind of mental state that you're in. Mm -hmm. so they would be able to have your guns temporarily removed uh, so that you have the time to get the help that you need without having access to something that is as, as lethal um, as a gun. Now, think about it this way, though. Uh, when we talk about opioid addiction or, or substance abuse, uh, drinking, we never, ever have a problem saying a person who is an abuser of those substances should not have access to those substances. We want to save their lives. We want to make sure uh, person X doesn't have open intoxicants around them. Right. But yet when it comes to guns, though, it's like, hey, we can't talk about that. We, we have folks who are willing to concede that we, we should accept the amount of gun death we have in our country. It's, it's the price of freedom, they say. How free is my mom? She has been in a coffin for 40 years. That's not freedom to me. It's not free when you only can go outside when you are armed. Now, if someone is in the store with me and they're armed, am I just supposed to automatically assume this person's trained and that they have the best intentions or that are they there to hurt me? Oh, Which yeah. one is it? I'm in an open carry state, so I have people with the you know, gun grocery store all the time. Yes. Right, and you just have to just simply take it, right? Yep. If, if we instituted something that required training to open carry or even conceal carry, in some states you don't have to do anything. I think that's wrong. And, and, and what it also does, it, it, it's a impediment to our ability to have uh, the 
just simply enjoy being outside. But it also gives a, a, a false sense of security to that gun owner. It, they watch enough movies or they, you know, watch enough TV, uh, TV programs that make them believe that gun makes them safer. But yet they are more likely to shoot themselves or someone they love than they are to shoot an assailant. Mm. And a lot of that is a function of their inability to use the gun. And you can be as, as pro-gun as you want to. And I'm not anti-gun by any stretch. I used right. to be a gun owner myself. I no longer am now. Uh, but being pro-gun doesn't mean you are against policy mm. to keep guns out of the hands of those who shouldn't have them. If you're a gun owner, you should want fewer people who shouldn't have them to have them. Mm. If, if you believe <clears throat> that criminals are going to always get the guns, how about we make it less easy? How about we just simply say, if, if, if you think they're going to have these guns, that they just can't get them so easily and they're not so readily available to them. Let's make it harder for those who shouldn't have them to get them. That simply makes sense. And you can't be just anxious to want to shoot somebody. You can't be anxious to be John J. Rambo just because you saw a movie. I believe that we can make our country our states, our communities safer by keeping guns out of the hands of those who should not have them. Mm, I agree. I mean, and, and personally, I, I wouldn't even say I'm so pro-gun. I'm just pro-protecting uh, my family. That's yeah, all. right. <laughs> I, and I completely support that. Yeah, I, I mean, and I want to make sure if, if you're going to have a gun in your house that you make sure you do it safely and responsibly um, and that there's nothing at all wrong with owning a gun. It, it, not only is it is it's your right, but if that's what you'd like to do, fine. Go, but be safe. Be mm -hmm. responsible. I don't think that is unreasonable. I don't think that's uh, unconstitutional. I don't think that makes me a bad person. Nor does only a gun make you a bad person. But the the this issue has been framed in a way of one, it's us versus them, and two, if you support common sense gun reform, it's somehow akin to gun confiscation. Like, I want your guns. I don't. I literally don't want to touch a gun. And I don't want to take your gun from you so long as you are not a, a felon or you're not a, a, a at risk to yourself or someone else. If you're being responsible, go ahead. You know, if you can pass a background check, fine. Mm -hmm. Be responsible with it. Well, why is it that people that look at this issue from the other side anytime you're talking about taking a step toward making some type of change, mm -hmm. they're taking it to the extreme. Is it that they have a, a some type of fear, you know, or mm -hmm. is, is that, you know, political? Is it, is it purely political, you know, perspective that they're speaking from? Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that? So uh, it, it is the, the, immediate impact and, and effect that the NRA has had on our body politics. So in the late 70s, there were some extremists that were able to, to take hold of the, uh, of the NRA. So it, instead of being um, in a, a group that advocated for you know, hunting and, and sporting, um, they turned it into a political powerhouse and, and made this a personal issue uh, that you have to have a gun in your home to be safe. Um, and I, I think their uh, extremism has been unfortunately effective because they had money and they they did things very strategically you know getting um, judges uh, to get elected that supported their cause uh, they have simply been able to sell this idea of being afraid and the way to counter that fear 
is with a gun. Uh, we've seen the, the damage that that narrative has caused our communities. A good example is Trayvon Martin. Another mm-hmm. good example, Jordan Davis, both unarmed men of color uh, shot by uh, someone else who acted like they were afraid of the other. Um, but you don't want to hear the NRA talking about that part, that, hey, stop acting like that. You don't have to be afraid just because a person is of color. Look at Philando Castile in Minnesota. He, you know, had a gun in the car, told the officer he had a gun in the car, and was a legal gun owner, shot yeah. within seven seconds. Look at Tamir Rice. Dude was 12 years old yeah. with a toy gun, shot within two seconds. So this, this idea, though, that you have to constantly be afraid of the other is why it, it, not, it's a marketing ploy, but that's why you have such a pervasive amount of, of uh, guns within our, uh, within our country because the NRA wants it that way. So the more guns get sold, the more money that the gun manufacturers make, the more money that they make, the more money they give the NRA. But when you really boil it down, though, the NRA isn't fighting for the rights of, of people. All they want to do is make money. That's it. It's a, it's a massive marketing machine, and I'm glad that they're imploding right now because that means they, they have a, uh, a reduced you know, death grip hold on our legislators. Um, if you think back to 2008, you have fewer and fewer people talking about gun violence prevention. In fact, it was like a third rail issue. Same thing in th- uh, 2012, but not anymore. You have more and more candidates that are not just talking about it, but running on it. Look at Lucy McBath down in Georgia 6. Uh, Jordan's mom. You know, she ran in a district that had been held by Republicans since 1984, including uh, former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich, right? She won and was clearly running on a platform of common sense gun reform. So this is not something that we need to hide from. The NRA no longer is the only uh, person in the room. Now we got millions of us who are willing to speak up, speak out and use our stories, whether we're survivors or advocates. Uh, and talk about common sense gun reform and make sure our legislators know that we're not simply going to go away. And when you have 100 gun deaths a day, uh, and that's, that's the death. That's not even including the other 250 that are shot and survived. Mm-hmm. So to have that much carnage in our country, it is incumbent upon those of us who are willing to take a stand and raise the voices of those who, who want to say something because people like my mom no longer have a voice. That's my job. Right. Yeah, like I said, that's, that's important in work you're doing. Uh, universal background checks, right? What's that, say it again? Universal background checks? Yes, I believe in, in background checks for all gun sales. Um, and so the, the, uh, the House passed a bill, uh, HR 8, uh, earlier this year um, that included, uh, that, that focused on um, background checks and all gun sales. And there's parts of that policy uh, that has exemptions for immediate family, mem- family members. So your dad can give it to the son, your grandfather, the grandchild, things like that, because we understand there's going to be some interchange uh, or exchanges of, of that gun within your family. And that's, that's simply okay. Again, your family should know about the condition of the people within their family. Mm-hmm. But like, you can't just go give a gun to somebody you don't know because you don't know the condition of that person. You don't know if they're a, a violent felon. You don't know if that person... Uh, has been deemed mentally unfit. Uh, uh, a couple years ago, there was a guy um, who was estranged from his, uh, his, his wife, Zena Daniel. Um, she had a restraining order put on him, which means he was a prohibited purchaser. So what he did was went online, found a, uh, a person who was willing to sell him a gun 
without a background check and bought a gun on a Thursday. The next day goes in, shoots and kills his wife and two of her coworkers and then ends up killing himself. Now the, the policy on the front end worked except the part where it doesn't require uh, background checks on in-person sales like that. So had the system not had that gaping loophole in it, he would not have been able to go buy that gun. And Xena could still be alive today. Um, and it, and it's, that's just one example. I mean, again, you have 100 gun deaths a day, you know, a lot of which are by people who should never have had the gun in the first place. And I think when we can make our community safer, we can save people's lives, we can bring communities back together, we can end the, the like this never ending loop of destruction. You think about the, the kids in Chicago growing up knowing they're going to have someone that they know be shot. Yes. Just the, the PTSD from that alone. How, how are we going to fix our communities if they are so uh, infected by this, this plague of gun violence? And we should want to fix it because it's the right thing to do. Mm. <laughs> I love that. Love <laughs> that. So just need, need more people talking about this and mm -hmm. more people taking action on it. Absolutely. So <clears throat> I'll switch gears a little bit. I'll yeah. ask you some of the, the questions we were, were yeah. discussing. So uh, this was one of the questions from out of our, our book that's coming out August 2nd. Congratulations uh, for that, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Like I said, I, I can't just idly sit by and mm -hmm. do nothing. Right. So many things are, are happening out here right now mm -hmm. in this polarized society. Yeah. And what I can do where I'm at I'm going to make that change be that that change that that I'm looking for doing doing what I can. So just uh, getting the ball rolling, asking these questions and putting this out there that people can really mm -hmm. consider these things and what they want to do with it. That's that's something that I know that I can do. Right, right. And so, yeah, this is uh, this is right out of our book. And it's, it's interesting that I'm talking to you <laughs> uh, because of because of your background. Right. But, uh, yeah, this uh, just kind of ironic. Mm -hmm. So uh, the question is, what's your understanding of politics and <laughs> systems in place influence the current conditions for black people? Uh, that, that is a, a very good question. Um, I think uh, during Barack Obama's time, he had done a lot of things to improve uh, the uh, conditions for communities of color. But I think under this current administration with the current occupant of the White House, he has reversed uh, many, if not all, of those, uh, those policies that, that positively impact people of color to the point where now it's a negative impact. So you look at the things that, uh, that HUD is doing, which to me is odd, given that you have a man of color uh, and Ben Carson, who mm -hmm. uh, is, is the head of that, number one, he is woefully uh, unqualified Correct. Uh, be in that office. Now, he may be in the most gifted surgeon ever to walk this planet. That doesn't mean he knows how to run HUD, right? No. And, and, you, and you can have that same opinion, you know, about a person like, I'm, I'm a, you know, I might be a good public speaker. I might be, you know, uh, uh, good at, at, at construction and things like that. That doesn't mean, you know, I can fly a plane, right? right? Um, so there, there are policies that, that Ben Carson is doing uh, that is negatively impacting uh, people of color in, in the black community and their ability to uh, access affordable housing. There are things that Betsy DeVos from the Department of Education is doing 
that is disproportionately impacting communities of color uh, with the policies that she's, uh, uh, she's using. So one of the things that she recently did was uh, roll back the, uh, some of the, the policies that Obama had in regards to for-profit college. That will disproportionately impact people of color. Um, so and I, I think they are doing that on purpose uh, because they, the way that they view us, that we are not a necessity or a priority, uh, which is unfortunate because, again, I, I believe our diversity is what makes us special. Uh, and I don't believe you should have policy that is, that is going to hurt communities like that. You should want to help and uplift communities. It, it, again, if you, if you think Chicago is so bad, put some things together to help fix it rather than using it as a scapegoat or something you can simply point at and say that's just a bad place. How about we fix it then? How about we fix our education system? How about we, we invest in our children so that they have a better future ahead of them than, than, than what we've had. Uh, but I don't think they look at it like that. I think they, it's just a throwaway issue for them. And they are just simply looking at how can they make more money for themselves. And that's really, really sad. But uh, I think the, um, the tide is going to change here uh, and that the body politic is, is becoming one in which people are waking up. Um, if you look at uh, what happened in 2018, you have more women, more people of color, uh, more people from the LGBTQ community that are running uh, because they're, people are just sick of being afraid and they want to have a say uh, and they don't just want to have a seat at the table. They want to be a part of making the table itself. And I yeah. think that's what's going to really change a lot of this, uh, the way that things are going for us. That's a great answer. <laughs> I got a couple more for you. Yeah, yeah. So this one, how, how would people, the people that died in the civil rights movement feel about What's going on in the black community today? Um, I think they would appreciate the progress to a degree, but I think in some respects they may be disappointed uh, because I think some folks got complacent. Uh, mm -hmm. There are a lot of folks who think a tweet uh, is akin to change. It's not. Uh, the you know social media has given us this, this ability to to say anything we want, advocate how we want. But it's, it's a tool though, it's not, it's not the be all end all. And I think some folks think that, you know, I'm gonna I'm a be, you know, I'm gonna get on Twitter and, 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 and put out all these tweets and that's it. That ain't it, that cannot be it. But if you look at like uh, folks like DeRay McKesson who has done some amazing work uh, with social justice reform and has really put himself out there. I mean, to the point where, I mean, for a while I was, wondering or you know is is the brother okay like is he safe uh the, the kind of vitriol that he was experiencing um and I'm, I'm glad to see what what colin kaepernick has done i mean because yeah. what, what he did is the same thing that jim brown did the same thing that tommy smith and john carlos did in the olympics um when you are willing to put your your financial security at risk your job at risk for the betterment of other people that says a lot about your character. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you listen to Dr. King's mountaintop speech, and I know, uh, you know, historically people listen to the last two minutes. I've been to the mountaintop, might not get there with you. Uh, I've seen the promised land. You, you, we, we know all that. There's a part in that speech, though. Uh, that speech is like 45, 48 minutes long. Yeah. It's amazing that he could do that, though. It's just, and it's a beautiful speech. There's a part in it where he talks about, we need you to simply show up. I don't care. If you got to leave school, show up. I don't care if you got to leave work. We need you to show up. And I think when you look at what Colin Kaepernick did, simply kneeling 
using his massive, massive platform, putting his financial uh, security at risk, but he did it for you and I. He did it to make sure that there are fewer uh, brothers and sisters that are being uh, shot by the police and police who have no accountability. And in saying so, it got framed as, again, us versus them. Yep. Like you are, uh, if, if you want police to be held accountable, you're now anti-cop. No, that's not the case. Because I believe, <clears throat> by and large, the police are good people because they're our neighbors, right? They're no different than you and I. But when you have someone that is not going to be held accountable for something, that tells the next person that that action is okay. And it's not. But we, and in that society, in that, in that group, that community, we need them. We need the police officers, those good, brave uh, uh, folks to, to stand up and say, we cannot accept the shooting of unarmed people like this because it makes them unsafe. It makes them be, uh, uh, the communities trust them less. And I, I think that's what, what Colin was trying to do. And I think, you know, if Dr. King was looking down, I think he would be amazingly proud of what Colin was doing. I think he'd be amazingly proud of what uh, folks like DeRay McKesson has done. I think he would be proud of, of the work that other folks have been doing, but I think he would be disappointed if, if, uh, if he looked at folks who just simply think social media is the be all end all, because it's not. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> oh man, thanks for saying that. I appreciate that, yeah. One, uh, what can we do individually to diminish and ultimately eradicate negative black stereotypes because i think that's really important right um that that is a million dollar question right there right um sure <laughs> you think about um, um a lot of the shootings occur uh because the whether it's the officer or the perpetrator thinking that, that man of color is a threat um and it's and that that goes back to the tweet that you and i you know, found each other from, that it's a scary time to be a person of color. Hmm. Um, I think uh, those of us who can speak out should and, and be able to present ourselves in a way that, um, that, that they see us as human beings. Um, and I think we, in some cases, we, we might perpetuate the stereotype uh, that, that can be hurtful uh, and, and can set uh, our communities back. But there are more of us who want to make a difference and want to improve uh, communities of color. There's an organization here in Milwaukee, it's called Block. So uh, uh, black leaders organizing for communities that are really trying to, to improve uh, the, the condition uh, of, of black communities. Mm -hmm. Getting up and knocking on doors, educating folks, engaging with folks, trying to get them to vote. <clears throat> and what they're, what, the other part of what they're doing is they're putting uh, a person of color in front of other people of color and, and showing them that you don't have to accept things. You don't like something, let's go out and change it and let's do it together. Uh, and I think things like that are, are important as well. And I think honestly, having Barack Obama be our president for eight years was a shiny example of what we can aspire to be. I think we need more of that. We need to see you know, that we can aspire to be in, in the highest office in the land, that we, we aren't relegated to being athletes or Tiger Woods or, you know, um, or uh, something like that, that we could be those, uh, those folks that get to, you know, pull the levers of power and, and have power uh, and, and tear down 
the, the, the structural racism that exists. Um, I, I, but I think we, we need to continue to encourage ourselves, our fellow brothers and sisters, that you can do these things. And that if, if possible, you, you should, right? You should want to. You should want to be involved in the process overall because it impacts you whether you want to or not, right? Um, and I think sometimes that folks might forget that or they don't have the ability to even think about that because they're just trying to put food on the table. Mm -hmm. Those of us who can, we should. And that's how I was raised. If you can, you should. And I think the more, <coughs> excuse me, the more of us they see in a positive light that are trying to do good things, the more of a ripple, a positive ripple effect that'll have in those communities, um, because it, it, it can't simply stay like this, right? Mm -hmm. You can't have the South side of Chicago with the, the, the gun death rate that they got. You can't keep, <clears throat> excuse me, having the, the amount of addiction that we have. And that's a, that's a funny issue right there. Not funny, uh, ha ha, but ironic that we have such a greater impact or a greater emphasis on opioids addiction right now. <clears throat> Communities of color have been struggling with substance abuse for decades. Man. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Sure. <clears throat> but when the crack epidemic was happening, oh, excuse me. Lock them up. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's like, let's help. Right. And I'm not dismissing that or <clears throat> belittling that. It's important. But <clears throat> I think more people like you and I <clears throat> need to keep, well, excuse me. <clears throat> Man, sorry about that. <clears throat> no. So more people like you and I need to keep stepping up and speaking out whenever we can. <clears throat> wow. That's something in my throat. Sorry about that. I wish I had a good one-liner right now. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this will be the time. So you're just saying more more people should should step up that have the voice that have the right. ability to, to do it right right we can't just wait for somebody else if you can you should i couldn't agree couldn't agree more with that right. uh, i'll throw one more out there <coughs> oh feel <laughs> yeah, right? i'm good I'll throw one more out there for you um kind of haven't discussed this today uh what What's your understanding and your thoughts on private prisons and how do we fix that? I mean, well, it's a big deal. A lot of people don't know a lot about it. I mean, I'm a financial advisor. That's my background. So <clears throat> very well educated on how that entire industry works on a deep right. level. Uh, it's disgusting, to yes. be honest. Yeah. And so I don't think the average person is aware of... <clears throat> that whole machine. Right, right. So. Now, I think uh, we need to abolish uh, private prisons. I mean, we should not be <clears throat> making money off the misery of others. And when you have a profit motive and locking folks up, you're no longer interested in justice. You're looking at profit. I mean, you're looking at inmates as, you know, profit centers and assets versus people who need to be either kept from society or rehabilitated. Um, there was a judge a number of years ago who was caught in a scheme where he was literally convicting people just so this one prison can get more inmates. Mm. Come on now. Like how far have we fallen here, right? Where a human being can be treated like that. That doesn't excuse the crime a person committed, but our society can't be one where uh, we are willing to make money 
off of the backs of, of people like that. And I mean, <clears throat> it's why we, you know, needed to end slavery. I mean, America's original sin. And then here we are now essentially doing some of the same things minus the, the, the brutality of, of that came with uh, slavery. Mm. But I think uh, we desperately need to get rid of prisons, uh, uh, private prisons like that. Um, because I, <clears throat> I think for one, it's going to reduce uh, the amount of, of black folks that are imprisoned for uh, nonviolent offenses. Because again, if, if you don't have this profit motive, you will be less likely to convict someone of a, of a crime that you know, doesn't deserve the kind of punishment that a, a prison would, would uh, invoke. But I also think um, they are, they are we, we have a, a, a subset of people in our country that uh, only look at people of color as potential assets, right? Uh -huh. And I think we need to dismantle that to every degree that we can. We need to literally uproot it. Uh, and I have policy that prevents private prisons so that we, we don't have uh, needless uh, uh, convictions. Uh, I, I was talking to someone this morning about um, drug convictions, about how uh, black and brown folks use drugs at the same rate as white folks. Correct. Get convicted for it. You know, you got uh, the, the dude from uh, uh, Florida, uh, Epstein, billionaire, can mm -hmm. pay his way out of prison right. for kids. But yeah, black and brown folks got to go to jail because unpaid parking tickets. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> you know, and then you got still right now, you have a lot of those uh, uh, private prison owning uh, uh, owners own some of the, the private detention and concentration camps that you have uh, uh, our brown brothers and sisters down at the border locked up in. When they are making money off of misery. Mm. There's something wrong with them people. You can't, you can't simply think that's making our country better when you engage in, in profiteering off the backs of people who are struggling, you know, and, and when you, you know you have a lot of uh, black and brown folks in prison simply based on substance abuse alone, right? That, that should not be a crime. Again, when you look at the opioid addiction, they want folks to get help, not go to jail. Who, who is the one that is, you know, primarily impacted by opioids? White folks. They should get help though. I support that. I want them to get help. I was addicted to opioids nine years ago. Oh, wow. Thank God I got through that. I did it all on my own, but that's not, that's me, right? <clears throat> I don't expect anybody else to have to go through what I had to go through, but I want those folks to get help. But I also want black and brown folks to get help who uh, are, are addicted to whatever substance they're addicted to. And it, you, you can't criminalize it, but you got folks who are just anxious to make a buck off the misery of, of folks like that who are willing to just simply lock them up in this private prison and uh, make money. That's it. It's immoral to me. Mm. Yeah. No, appreciate you talking about that one. It's a, it's a big one mm. and you really don't hear a whole lot about it mm. uh, out there. I mean, I don't really watch any regular mainstream news, so I don't know <laughs> what they're talking about on there. It doesn't come up too much. I mean, you, you might get a candidate like uh, Cory Booker or uh, Kamala Harris talks about it. Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders has talked about it, or at least his supporters have, like Sean King. Um, it, but again, it's one of them things that it can't just be people of color talking about this, mm -hmm. right? We, we need everybody to talk about this because you still got a chance if you're white to end up in one of them private prisons. It ain't just for us. They just happen to like putting us there. <laughs> I, I think we should definitely end, end on a high note. Yeah, yeah. Just... You know, we, we've covered a lot of different things on here today. 
Uh, obviously, you know that in these type of discussions, I'm trying to talk with people uh, that that have have a voice mm -hmm. and are really trying to speak about these issues in an intelligent way to affect real change out there in society. And right. so, one of my big takeaways, uh, just in in talking with you today, is that some of the issues that we have aren't just going to be solved without enlisting the help of mm -hmm. people from other cultures uh, of, of the majority, right? right. Mm -hmm. And saying, hey, look, you know, we, we need your help and right. we need you to speak against these things because the influence that you have is going to be felt and respected right. by everyone. And so it's really a collective effort yes. to be able to... <laughs> tackle some of yes. these some of these issues that right. we're facing and i mean let's be real you know um it's very real thing to have to worry about um being shot yes. or being, uh what am i trying to say targeted mm -hmm. for for being a person of color right. and you know, some people don't live in a world where you have to think about that or <laughs> things. I right. mean, same, same analogy, you know, I had a talk with a friend very recently and, you know, I don't necessarily have the same fear walking down the street late at night, mm -hmm. you know, that a woman would have, right? right. Mm -hmm. So that's not something that I ever consider. I, I got the privilege if you will, of not having that fear, not having that as a reality for me. Whereas there are many people that, you know, they can they can send their kids <laughs> down to the the movie theater when they're 16 to 17 and don't have to worry that they're not going to come home because they they were shot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So, well, we, just one second though, to go back to your your example about uh, our male privilege, right? About being, we can walk down the street and not consider. The things that a woman might right <clears throat> correct but it, it is incumbent upon men like you and i to to help elevate the voices of women so that we make the changes that need to be made so they don't have to be afraid um and in doing so um in elevating their voice uh, in many cases probably nine times out of ten that means us sharing our platform and then simply standing next to them and letting them speak right so we don't have to speak for them and that's what i mean by <clears throat> like asking white folks to help with uh, criminal justice reform or gun violence prevention or racism. I don't, I don't need white folks to necessarily speak for me, <clears throat> but share your platform. Stand there with us. Use your voice to help elevate ours so that we can fix these issues. And that, that's really what, what it boils down to. Uh, one of my good friends is actually Cory Booker. And he's got, uh, he, he tells these stories. I mean, he's an amazing storyteller. Um, he often talks about what patriotism means. Patriotism means love of country, but to love the country, you have to love the people in it, right? It, you can't just love, you know, people that just look like you. We're supposed to love all of us, right? So what happens to, to women or to people of color, the LGBTQ community, what happens to white folks matters to me because I love them too, right? And I, I want them to be safe. I want them to be satisfied, secure, and, and happy. And to whatever extent I can make that better for them, I'm, I'm definitely going to go do so because I love my country. I love my country as much as Ilhan Omar does. 
as much as uh, Rashida Tlaib does and Ayanna Presley does and AOC does, right? I want to make our country better because I love my country. I want my kids to have a better future than I've had because I love my country and I love my kids. I don't want to live anywhere else. I ain't going nowhere, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> but if we truly are going to aim towards uh, a more perfect union, we got to act more in love and less in hate. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to hate somebody. Love takes work, right? You got to see through some of the nonsense <clears throat> in someone's, uh, someone's explicit or implicit bias. To be willing to look at a person as a human being who's got needs, concerns, and, and, and dreams and aspirations of their own, right? But I, I honestly, sincerely believe that at, at its core, our country is a beautiful place. Yes. And it's because it is filled with beautiful people who, who want to make it as best as it can be. We just happen to have the wrong people running the country right now. <laughs> Man, I hear you, but we can all do our part, just like you absolutely. said. Right. <clears throat> working toward the things that are, are right. Yes, absolutely, yeah, yep. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's a good place to, to kind of yeah, yeah. cut here. I, I can't thank you enough for just sharing your time, sharing yep. your wisdom. Um, sharing the things that, that you're doing and then coming on and answering some of the, the questions that I had for you today. And I appreciate you having me on. I mean, I, I'm sure you could have anybody else on and I'm glad you picked me. And any help you might need down the road, uh, let me know. I'd be happy to come back on. I, I sincerely appreciate your, your being generous with your time and, and allowing me on your show. For sure, man. Uh, I hope you guys have a great, great weekend. Yeah. I will, I I will definitely, I'll definitely be in touch. All right, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right. Have a wonderful day. You too, man. Bye. Bye.